Welcome to the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. I'm your host, Nicole, and this podcast is your guide to start creating a lifestyle by design. From entrepreneurship, money and finance, taxes and residencies, and everything in between, this show highlights the nuances of a true global citizen lifestyle. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Nicole, and in today's episode, I sit down with Gary Arndt. This is seriously the episode for you if you have been thinking if podcasting could potentially be a good stream of monetization for your business. We dive deep into this episode. Gary is definitely the expert on this topic. Gary himself is the host of the Everything Everywhere Daily podcast, and before launching his show in July of 2020, He spent the previous 13 years traveling the world full-time. His travels have taken him to over 200 different countries and territories and all 50 U.S. states twice. His blog, the Everything Everywhere blog, was named one of the top 25 blogs in the world by Time magazine. He has also appeared in USA Today, the New York Times, the BBC, and National Geographic. Pretty wild, right? So not only all of this, He is also one of the world's most accomplished travel photographers. He was named Travel Photographer of the Year in 2014 by the Society of American Travel Writers and in 2013 and 2015 by the North American Travel Journalists Association. He is a three-time Lowell Thomas Award winner, which is considered to be the Pulitzer Prize for travel journalism. So Gary definitely knows his stuff when it comes to travel except this episode was so interesting for me as I know it will be for you because he talks about why he shifted from travel and why podcasting is his number one in his business. He releases a new episode of the podcast every single day. So we dive into this and so much more in this episode. Let's just get right into it. We are going to be diving into so much today from travel, entrepreneurship, and so many different areas within those two topics. But before we dive in, I would love to hear a little bit more about your story, where you got started, and what that now looks like today, what that evolution and journey has looked like for you. So I suppose you could say it started back in the 90s. I started a very early internet company back in 1994. We were connecting databases to the World Wide Web, which today is pretty much everywhere, but at the time was uh, very difficult to do. I sold that business to a large multinational corporation in 1998. And in 1999, I convinced them to send me on a trip around the world to their various offices to explain the internet. And it was the first time I'd ever really been out of the United States. So in a three-week period, I did a whirlwind trip where I was in Tokyo, Taipei, Singapore. Frankfurt, London, Brussels, and Paris. And I got to see the world. It was very eye-opening. I left that company a few months later when my contract expired, went back to school, thought I would, you know, maybe get another degree, realized that being an academic wasn't what I wanted to do. So I hatched the idea of selling my house to travel around the world. And I did, I, so I did, it took me about a year and a half to tie everything up. I ended up selling the house in uh, March of 2007, which is when I began traveling. And initially, I thought I would travel around the world for a year or two, but it turns out the world is really big and it just never stopped. And so 
<clears throat> for about 10 years, I was traveling nonstop. I didn't have a house. About 10 years into it, I ended up getting an apartment. But even then, I was on the road for about half to a third of the year. So traveling quite a bit. And all that came to a grinding halt with the pandemic. I literally came home from my last international trip on February 28th of 2020. This is when it was still being talked about, oh, there's something happening in Italy and in China and stuff. I got COVID immediately, probably at the airport somewhere. So the first week of March, I was just miserable. And then, and at this time, you know, traveling around the world, I'd become a very successful travel photographer. I had a very popular website, travel website. I had, you know, very large social media accounts and everything dried up in a period of about two weeks. The entire international travel and tourism industry basically just stopped. All the contracts I had in place went away. Everything, all the, the traffic to my website pretty much dried up because nobody was interested in travel anymore. Nobody was buying travel. And it really left me in a weird position. So I needed to figure out what to do. So in July 1st of 2020, I launched a brand new podcast called Everything Everywhere Daily. And it wasn't a travel podcast per se, because I didn't want to rely on the travel industry anymore. It's a daily educational show, but a lot of what I'm, what, what I'm talking about is stuff that I learned in the course of my travels. So by not being a strict travel show, I was able to reach a much wider audience. I could still work with the travel industry and talk about things from my travels, but I wasn't reliant upon them. If the travel industry went away, I'd still be okay. And that's pretty much what I've been doing ever since. The show has been a far bigger success than I had ever imagined. I'm now doing like a million downloads a month and uh, people from all over the world are listening. And uh, that's, it's become a, a very profitable business for me. That's, that's amazing. the summary I, of everything. Yeah, there's a lot to dive into there, which I want to. I definitely want to dive into the monetization of your passions and your podcast as well. But before we get into that, I want to start more at the beginning, which sounds in your journey like it is travel photography. So how did that start? Was that a passion, a hobby of yours that you realized you could monetize? Was it something perhaps you were working for a company, went freelance? What did that journey look like? And what did it look like in that specific time frame? Because I'm sure now versus when you started, it would look very different. Well, it really started with my website because I had always been an internet guy since the very first days of the web. It was natural for me to start a website when I started to travel. So I started a WordPress website, and then in the course of my travels, I would leave my thoughts and observations of all the different places I've been. And one of the things that benefited me is when I started traveling, I spent the first six months basically crossing the Pacific Ocean, going to a lot of small island countries that most people never bother to visit. So it made my travels a bit more unique than the typical person going on a gap year around the world tour that just they all visit the same places, major cities and developed countries for the most part. I also bought a very expensive camera when I started traveling, knowing absolutely nothing about photography, thinking that, well, you got to get an expensive camera to take good photos. But I quickly learned that that's not how it works. You can take very bad photos with a very good camera. And so I began a process of just iteratively learning how to do photography, you know, and so over a period of years, I got better and better. I was traveling. So I had the opportunity to take a lot of photos and get a lot of reps in. And by teen, I was starting to win major awards for my photography. I was named travel photographer of the year three times in North America, and it kind of became a signature for what I was doing. My photos on social media, I think was what drew a lot of my, you know, what commanded getting such a large following on like Instagram and Twitter. But the business really changed. 
because when I first started, there really was no social media. It was Friendster or MySpace. Facebook existed, but you still needed like a special, you needed, you still had to have like a university email address to sign up. Twitter was launched in 2009 and became a big thing that year at South by Southwest. But for the most part, people went directly to your website. They followed it through RSS. They had RSS readers. And 2013, Google killed Google Reader. And there was this shift in everything from people going to your site directly to following you on social media. And then once people were following you on social media, that was controlled by large social media companies that ended up throttling what people saw and traffic to your website and just became a worse and worse business over time running a travel website. And while all this was going on, the term digital nomad didn't exist when I started doing this in 2007. There were no digital nomads. I remember going to Chiang Mai in 2008, completely different experience than it is now, or even going to a place like Bali that's just overrun with people. Wi-Fi was still rather scarce. You had to go to an internet cafe to get online, which, which I had to do in a lot of places. I would be on my, my laptop in a hotel or a hostel without internet connect, you know, connectivity. I would have to write or edit photos without being online, which is not really something you would do today. So it's, it, it, the whole business has changed a lot, which is one of the reasons I launched a podcast rather than try to do something with a website. So in you saying that, I'm curious if you were to start what you had started then now, that would look completely different. What would those starting steps look like for you now? Oh, boy. I don't even know. The one thing I have been telling people, the, one of the things I don't like about blogging as a business is that you are, it used to be, like I said, everyone's traffic to their website was organic. Now it's almost all SEO. And I never got, I would write articles that used a pun or a song lyric or something like that as, a, as the title. I wasn't worried about what Google thought. I was doing it for the people that, was, that would come to my website to read it. You can't do that anymore. Everything has to be keyword optimized and everything else. And they're not blogs. They're just websites. And everybody's writing the same article, 15 things to do in blank, because that's what Google wants to see. And Google can turn this off at any time. They changed the algorithm. And I've seen this over and over and over. People with very successful websites one day, traffic drops into the toilet next because Google is no longer giving them traffic for whatever reason. And if something happens with AI in the next year or two, where Google answers questions directly, they don't even need to send people to websites anymore. So that, so I would not base anything on some company who doesn't care about you or even know who you are relying on that for your business. So relying on social media, even if it's TikTok or something like that, well, TikTok may be an exception. I'll explain that in a bit, but what you need is something that is personality driven. People need to follow you because you're you and they know who you are, something that they can share with their friends and by word of mouth. And podcasting, I think, is one of the best ways to do that. And that's why I found so much success in podcasting. It's a super simple business. There's no algorithm that you need to game. You create something that people like. They share it with their friends. More people listen and it grows that way. Monetization is super simple. I run ads. Everyone knows how ads work. They've seen it on television and radio their entire lives. There's no, you know, controversy here. There's none of this thing about influencers who are getting paid, but they don't tell anyone or anything like that. I don't have to worry about any of that. I think YouTube is another way to do that. You can establish the same kind of personal rapport with people and develop a personal following. 
The only difference there is you are dependent upon one company. And a lot of people think the first thing they should do is go into YouTube. But in reality, if you look at the CPMs that people get on YouTube, they're way, way less than podcasting, like significantly less because for starters, YouTube takes half of it. And then, so if you're, if you're getting something in the range of two to $4 for a CPM on YouTube, that's pretty common. And maybe if you're running a financial channel, you might get something in the neighborhood of, you know, 10 to $15. The average CPM on a podcast is $25 and they can go up to 50. So the market has kind of spoken for which they think is a better medium. Not to mention the fact that, you know, your success as a YouTuber is going to come from you being able to game the YouTube algorithm to appear on, you know, what the watch this list for someone else. And that's just not true with podcasting. So a podcast is harder to grow, but once you can grow it, it's far more valuable. And I think a far better business model, but the trick is growing it. Mm -hmm. I think that's really interesting. I was, I don't remember, I, I get so many things coming at me as we all do now. I saw somewhere online the other day, you really only own a few things. And we all know that's true. And that's your website. But we kind of just talked about, you know, you are at the mercy of Google and SEO. It's your podcast and your email, email newsletter list. was the other one. Yeah, exactly. And those are, and, and if you look at where people actually make money, it's probably going to be from one of those things. And you should still have, I'm not saying you shouldn't have a website. You should certainly have your own domain name that you can put everything under. I just don't think that you should be reliant on SEO traffic. By all means, if, if you if you do get search traffic, great. But if if you know if that search traffic went away, would all of your money go away? And if that's the case, then you need to diversify into something else. So while we're on this topic, I do want to maybe backtrack a little bit afterwards. But we're on this topic of podcasting monetization. It sounds like you have potentially monetized or have grown your email list. So talk to us if you're comfortable about some of your current sources of income. And it sounds like your podcast is definitely on top of that within your business. So I would be curious what that podcast journey has looked like for you. I know you do do daily episodes. So I'm curious if that is a big factor as well. Oh, it's a huge factor. In fact, the reason I'm doing a daily show is for business reasons. I did the math and I don't know if you've ever heard like a, you know, a normal podcast episode for normal show is going to be about an hour long. If you put 14 ads in a show like that, it would turn most people off. But I can put two ads in a 12 minute show every day. People barely notice or, or they don't say anything because it's just two, but it's every day. It ends up being basically the same thing. And so I just did the math that in, in most hour long shows won't have 14 ads. So if I just simply look at a revenue basis. I had a really good friend who had a daily show and a lot of other business stuff going on. And I met him at a conference. We're in the speaker's room. And he told me, he's like, yeah, this is the best thing I've ever done. And I was like, really? And so when I, when I thought about doing the show during the pandemic, I went back to that and just did the math. And I'm like, wow, this really works. You know, publishing more frequently allows you to grow your show faster and monetize it better than pretty much any other show. So I do about... 30 to 40,000 downloads a day on average. If I had a weekly show, I would have one seventh, basically the number of downloads I'm getting now. And even if the show was a little bit longer, I certainly would not be putting in seven times the number of ads. So uh, most of my, my, my income now is currently, I, I should say when I launched the show, I basically did a very hard pivot from what I was doing. I pretty much, I still work with, with people in the travel industry, but I'm not reliant on it. 
And I opened myself up to a whole new audience of people. Because one of the things I found is people only care about travel when they're about to go on a trip. I had friends with food and fashion blogs and other types of websites that had way more traffic than I ever did. It's because people are concerned about those things every day. Every day people eat. They have to need to find a recipe. You know, there's people that go shopping for new clothes, you know, once a week or maybe once every other week or something. Politics, celebrity gossip, sports, technology. Things are changing all the time. Nothing changes in travel. All it's like, I'm going to this place. I need to find some information on it. You find it and then you leave. I, I was able to get a pretty, you know, okay-sized email list. It was up to 20,000 at one point. But when I did this purge, one of the things I needed to do was I wanted to cut back expenses. So I, I really cut down the size of the email list. I used ConvertKit and I sent out an email and then they have a, an option that lets you send it to people that didn't open it. So I did that and then I did it again. So that, that got rid of a whole bunch of accounts that weren't active. And then I sent a second email out and then went through that process again. And that cut it down to about 9,000 emails because I, I had the list for a very long time at this point and it wasn't really active. But with the, the podcast, so I'm, I've, I've changed my focus. If you go to the front page of my website, it's all podcast focused at this point. That's where the majority of my revenue is coming from. And I had a plan from the outset in terms of how to monetize the show via advertising. That at this point, I would say has been very successful. I'm making well into the five figures every month just from podcast advertising. And that's now allowing me to fund other endeavors. I may actually start a YouTube channel because what I'm doing works, I think, very well on YouTube. There are a lot of successful educational channels. I'm working on a project to put my episodes in the form of course material for teachers and homeschoolers. I have people that want to buy merch. I have people that want to travel with me. So I'm considering doing a trip where I just rent a riverboat somewhere in Europe and I get 100 to 150 of my listeners to travel with. So there's a lot of opportunities, but right now the core of it is all simply advertising on the podcast. So take me back to 2020. You're starting the podcast. For anybody listening who has a beginning, a podcast in the beginning stages, or is looking to start monetizing, what did that look like for you when you were thinking, I need to make money off of this thing? A lot of podcasts go unmonetized. So the beginning stages, you knew that what you wanted was that monetization. What did that look like? I know there's a bunch of podcast monetization platforms out there, but what did your journey to monetization look like? Well, for starters, I broke every rule as far as what you're not supposed to do with podcasting. Everyone tells you, oh, you got to have a niche. You got to niche down. The name of my show is literally everything everywhere. It is the least niche show in the world. I talk literally about everything and every day is something completely different and random. But I figured if I was interested in these things, there's got to be other people out there that's interested in this stuff too. And that turned out to be the case. I had steady growth for the first, you know, two and a half years I was doing the show. I knew that I was going to be monetizing through ads. So in the very first episode of the very first show, I put an ad in it, even though nobody was paying me for ads. I just created my own. I signed up for affiliate programs and I did some for Audible and some other things I thought were a good fit. And I just did my own host read ads. And I did that for about 18 months until I could grow the show to a point where I could get in a network. I had a couple of brands that I had worked with in the travel space, particularly the, the, tourist office of Spain. They were on board right away. They helped me and sponsored some early episodes, which brought some money in the door. But it really took 18 months for me to get to a point of doing this every day 
where I was able to have enough traffic to join a network. I was with a network for a year. They were not the greatest of networks. It brought money in the door, maybe enough to cover rent. That's about it. And then I signed which, with what I would consider like a top tier network in January, 2023. And that has been like night and day. So they have, they have dedicated sales team. It took them about two months to ramp up the, the sales process, but they now are, they, they've completely sold out the show. I'm one of the biggest shows on their network. You know, uh, money's coming in. It's really good. And, uh, but yeah, I planned for this from day one and I knew that it was going to take like a year and a half for me to get to that point. Because I've heard a lot of people say that 18 month point is kind of where things started to take off. And it's also the amount of time you really need to prove yourself. You know, most podcasts never make it to episode seven because people start, oh yeah, I think I'll start a podcast and it's not a high priority for them. And so when something comes up and something always comes up, they abandon it. With the position I was in, I had to make it work. So it became my top priority. And it became the, the thing that I devoted everything I was doing to make successful. And I think that's also one of the reasons that it became successful is because I made damn sure to make it so. Yeah, I like that. So you release an episode daily. Talk to me about some of the struggles that you initially faced when starting this podcast or just struggles in general of having a podcast, especially a daily show. And perhaps they're not struggles. Perhaps, you know, it's, it's short, snappy episodes. Talk to me kind of what that looks like. There's a lot of benefits to doing a daily show, many of which I didn't even realize when I started. The first of which is you have a very high completion rate, meaning people that start the show are more likely to complete the entire show, which is something that Apple looks and Spotify look for when determining what shows to promote. Second thing is that people tend to listen to it first in their playlist. If you have a three-hour interview and a 10-minute show, you can finish the 10-minute show on your walk or driving to work or whatever. The three-hour show is probably going to require a commitment. And you're probably not going to be able to listen to the whole thing in one sitting. And the other thing is that people binge it. They can just listen to one after the other after the other. And so I created this thing called the Completionist Club, which is for people that have listened to every episode. And now, three years in, I've done 1,100 episodes. And every week, I'm still getting people saying that they've listened to every episode. The downside is it's a lot of work. I'm not just getting on the microphone and talking off the top of my head. I write a 2000 word script for every show. And because my topics are like, you know, about history, science, mathematics, I'm basically doing a term paper every day. So minutes before we started talking, I was finishing up today's script. And as soon as we finish this conversation, I'm going to record today's show which is about the history of golf. And the moment I'm done, I will upload it. So there's no like, oh, I'll schedule this out for September. No, it, it goes up the next day. And then I start working on the show for tomorrow's show. So it is a fair amount of work, but it really does pay off. And I've met several people with daily podcasts, not a lot of them, because like I said, it's hard to do. But everyone I know who's done it, has been able to see a great deal of success in podcasting. I think I've just convinced another person to do it at a conference I was at last week. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, right now I was just talking to my partner the other day because I get such great downloads, but I release twice per week. And so the days I release Wednesday and Friday, and I notice 
Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, the listens are not as high. So I was toying with maybe having three and he was like, you know, that seems like a lot. That's a lot of not for me because I'm not worried about my commitment. I'm worried about the listener commitment. It's not that people aren't listening. It's that they're not downloading. What you're seeing for your stats are downloads and you're correct. Weekends are not as good as weekdays. I see that in my show. But the number of downloads per episode are the same. It just means that they'll download the show on Monday when they go to work. And Mondays are always the best day of the week for me. Saturdays are always the worst. Not surprising. Mm-hmm. But the shows I release on Saturday don't necessarily get more down, less downloads than the shows I release on Monday. They're just downloaded at different times of the week. So I wouldn't worry about that at all. It's not a reflection of, because people are off doing things on Saturdays. They're not on their commute. They're not going to school. But it doesn't mean that those shows are not going to be listened to. So thank you for sharing that, the the pros and cons and what the podcast journey has looked like for you. So it sounds if, correct me if I'm wrong here, if you were to start any type of entrepreneur endeavor in the online space today, it would not be in the travel space. It would not be photography. Well, I guess travel very loosely, but it would not be the photography. It would really be honing in on podcasting or something that you are truly passionate about figuring out from day one how you can monetize it and that it is something that you can make good money from if you are consistent with it and just going all in on that. Photography is a horrible business now. Everyone has a camera and the value of photography has just plummeted. Everyone I know who's a really good photographer and has big online followings, they're all making their money now from basically running tours and I guess a little bit from courses, but it's all through education. That's, that's where their money's coming from and really from the tours. So you can sell a, you know, a $8,000 tour to Patagonia or something like that and make your money that way. But the thing is you have to be constantly selling tours and going on tours. What everyone's doing in travel are just travel websites, SEO for the most part. That's kind of it. So yeah, I would do something in podcasting. You know, you, you probably know who John Lee Dumas is. Entrepreneur on Fire, very successful show. He created a a daily show, I think 13 years ago, where he was interviewing entrepreneurs and uh, the daily format helped him a lot. But he's recently said that if he was to start a new show today, he would not do an interview show. Uh, My show is not an interview show. It's a, it's a solo show. It's a scripted show. And there's nothing wrong with interview shows per se, but I don't know if I would make a, an exclusively interview show. Maybe you could do an interview once or twice a week. The Jordan Harbinger show, he has a very successful podcast and it started as an interview show, but now he, he was doing two interviews a week. I think he's moving to one interview a week, but he's going to do two episodes that are not interviews where he answers questions and talks about different things because they're easier to produce and people tend to actually like them more. A lot of people I know with interview shows are very afraid to do a solo show because they think that oh, it's, you know, it's different or is it going to do well? And I, I can't think of an example where someone did a switch like that and their non-interview shows weren't their most popular episodes. I, I personally like both. I like basically just talking yeah. to myself, but I love the interview aspect as well because there is so much knowledge out there that I would otherwise not know that I can get from people who have that experience. So that's really interesting. Okay. So Do you have any other last notes on podcasting, entrepreneurship, online business before I want to ask you a little bit about your personal troubles? Yeah, I'm not saying that like interview shows are bad. I mean, we're, we're doing an interview right now. It's just that so many people, when they launch a podcast, that is the first and only thing they think of. 
And if you truly want to establish yourself as an authority or an expert, I think you need to, to, to at least sprinkle in some shows where it's just you providing advice and sharing your authority and expertise talking to someone else. As, as far as, you know, entrepreneurship, it's becoming, in, in some ways, it's, it's harder and harder to make a living online because so many people want to do it. And so much of it is surrounding some other company, like I said, that controls everything. And what you're, you know, if I'm 53, I am not going to be a TikTok star. I, I acknowledge that. If you look at who's successful in TikTok and all the creator houses and all that stuff and all these people that have lifestyle YouTube channels, I'm never going to be able to do anything like that. So I've adopted something that doesn't really matter that I can keep doing this forever because I'm not trying to promote my lifestyle. A lot of these people that, oh, they become kind of internet famous. They have a big following on TikTok or something. I think there's a limited lifespan to that. No one's going to want to see you going to clubs and doing all these skits and whatever it is you're doing when you're 60. There's just kind of a, a limit to it. So pick something that you can probably do indefinitely and that isn't going to just make you a flash in the pan. And usually that's by doing something with some sort of expertise, authority, or talent or knowledge that you have. Yeah, I like how you mentioned that because I was, I've thought the exact same thing before. You know, I have people who I love to follow online, but I don't think I'm going to a, a love be that into their content in a decade. You know, new people come, people go. Yeah, you're totally right. So I think that that is something interesting to mull over before and you get started in the online space. Even if those people are making a lot of money, are they building equity in anything? Can you sell a YouTube channel if it's based entirely, you know, I could probably, you know, sell my podcast at some point in the future, get a different host, do fundamentally the same thing, maybe do a phase in period where they're guest hosting a couple of days a week or something like that. It certainly could be done. I don't think that somebody with a popular TikTok account, that's something that could be sold, right? That's not something you build equity in. Maybe you may have some personal equity that you could uh, turn over into some other projects. And even then, a lot of, uh, I've seen TikTok people and YouTubers create podcasts precisely because they can own it and they can monetize it better and they're not reliant on that one company. Yeah. But yeah, yeah I, totally I mean, anything you want to do online, I would, whatever you do, I'm not saying there's anything, you know, if, if you can find success on TikTok, by all means, exploit it for what you can. But podcast, email list, website, you have to have those things. And you have to build those things because those are the things that can't be taken away from you. Completely agree. Okay, so I want to ask you a few questions about your travel experience. You have been to how many countries? Is that? Depends how you define country. Like if it's UN countries, it's 130. But I've been to a lot of places that are not countries like French Polynesia, Gibraltar, Antarctic, South Georgia Island, things like that. So on the Traveler Century Club list, I've been to 204 different places. Amazing. I love that. So what was a really unique experience you had somewhere in the world that really stands out to you still to this day? Doing a landing and being launched from a nuclear aircraft carrier. I was invited by the Navy to go visit the USS Harry S. Truman while they were doing training exercises off the coast of Virginia. And uh, we got to take a plane and land on the carrier. We stayed overnight and we got launched from the carrier the next day. And there are very few people that ever get to do that. Even people that work on an aircraft carrier usually are never landed and launched on an aircraft carrier. They get off when the, the ship is in port. So that was unlike anything I ever got to do. Oh, I mean, I've, I've done so many things. Dog sledding up in the Yukon, 
swimming with great white sharks, cage diving in South Africa, got to ride in a Formula One sports car, hot air ballooning over South Africa. I got a list of stuff on my website. It's hard to even come up with them. You know, I've been yeah. scuba diving all over the world, photos, yeah, you name it. I've been in the middle of riots, war zones. I've seen a lot of stuff. Wow. That's so cool. And what is one country that really surpassed your expectations? We'd have to be one of the Pacific countries like Samoa. Very few people go there. Very few people know about it. Most of the tourism they do get is from New Zealand, simply because there are direct flights from there. It's a place that is not on the list of a lot of people, but I, I found it to be the Samoans to be wonderful people. I found it to be a great country. And uh, I'd love to go back and, and spend an extended amount of time there now. And last question, what are some of your favorite countries? I'm not going to say choose one because I know that will be next to impossible, but a few of your favorites. Samoa, Singapore, Australia, Japan has, has fantastic food. Argentina, I really enjoyed. Always loved going to London. Montenegro, Jordan. I thought Kyrgyzstan was really interesting. There's great, it's very hard to put things down to a country because some countries are really huge. And what you find in one part of a country is completely different than another part of the country, but they speak completely different languages often. And a lot of times your experience is going to be colored by the, by what you, what you experienced, the weather, the people you met, the time of year, any number of things that some of which are random will determine whether you had a good time and what you think of a certain place. I, I know one person that says, oh, I hate Vietnam. Uh, I had such a bad time there. Well, they had a bad experience. It wasn't a reflection on the country, which has like 100 million people. You know, you just happen to have one bad time there. I've been to places multiple times and I've had completely different experiences in the exact same place based on who I met and other circumstances. My, my advice always is, you know, to someone thinking about travel is to just do it. You can sit and plan and scheme and figure out what you're going to do. But at the end of the day, you got to buy a plane ticket. So the faster you buy the plane ticket and go, the better off you're going to be. And a lot of travel, when you get right down to it, is confidence. I remember when I started traveling full time, I started going west. I began in Hawaii. And the first place outside of the United States I went was Tahiti. And I could get on a local bus and go right into town. But I was kind of terrified by the fact, the fact that I didn't know French. Today, that would not phase me in the slightest. I'd figure it out and it, it's not hard to give people money. You will always find a way, someone will always find a way to take your money. So, and, and what, what do you want to do on a bus? You want to get from A to B. There's only one thing to do on it. So a lot of these transactions and the things you may be afraid of traveling are things that are really easily solved. And travel is not nearly as dangerous as the media makes it out to be. They only talk about bad things that happen in places. And if something good happens, they don't talk about it at all, which means that a lot of people are either terrified or ignorant of most of the world because that's all they hear are bad things. And once you get there, you realize that life goes on just like anywhere else. And things really aren't that bad in most places, unless it's an active war zone. I always say the same thing. And I don't even I don't like to watch the news, the media, any of that. You know, it's, it can be difficult not to consume it sometimes, but. For the most part, I try not to because I will be in a country and, you know, right now I'm in Buenos Aires and you hear things are happening in the economy and different things. And people are messaging me from back home saying, are you OK? Are you safe? And it, it's a completely different world on the ground. So I could not agree with that more. First of all, if you're in Buenos Aires, it's like the whole country's on sale, right? If you could bring 
some American currency with you, especially very crisp, clean $100 bills, you will make out like a bandit. So that's not a problem. That is an opportunity. And here's what you should do. Next time something happens in the United States, right? So there's a mass shooting or something. So you only have to wait a week. Contact your friends in the United States and ask them if they're okay. Odds are, wherever the thing happened was on the other side of the country or very far away. And they're going to mean, well, what are you talking about? That was in Texas. We live in, in Michigan. It's like, yeah, but something bad happened in the United States. You're in the United States. That sounds ridiculous to someone living in the United States because they live here and they know that there's, you know, something that happens on the other side of town is probably not something that they're going to be worried about. Yet somehow, if it's in a different country, they lump the whole country together because they don't know those distinctions that are there when you live there. Argentina is a really big country. If something happens in Ushaya or something happens in Salta, those are really far apart from each other. And you, you, if some, so an event that occurs in those places is going to have nothing to do with Buenos Aires, but they just don't know that because they've never been there. And so I've always turned it on them and, and just do something like that, you know? Next time something bad happens, just say, you know, I heard something bad happen in the United States. And when they realize how ridiculous it is, say, well, that's what you're asking me every day. Yeah. So so I'm actually from Canada, but it does worry me a little bit when I see the, the, the news in the United States. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I think this country is worse off than almost any other country or any country I've ever been to. But it's the same thing, right? I've been all over Canada. I've been to every province three times. I've been to all the territories, most of the national parks in the country. Halifax is a very far, very far away from Vancouver. And while they do speak the same language, it's a very different culture. And, you know, the same is true. There's going to always be something happening or something. And you could just say, oh, I heard something bad happened in Canada. Same principle applies. People are more concerned. You know, they, 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 the further away you get from something, the more you tend to just blend everything together and you don't know the nuances. And it's only by traveling that you can really uh, understand that. And I don't know if it's happened to you yet, but I've been to a lot of places and every so often I'll see something on the news where something happens. Maybe it's a natural disaster, a hurricane, an earthquake or something. And I will have been to that place. And it has a very different impact on me having been there than it would be to someone just, it's just a, a theoretical or intellectual thing that happened on the news. Two years ago, there was a major volcanic eruption in the nation of Tonga. Most people have never been to Tonga. It means nothing to them. But I've spent like a week on Funafuti, or not not Funafuti, in Nukualofa. And uh, so when they started talking about the lack of water and the problems, like, yeah, I knew where that place was. You know, I, I saw that place that they saw on the news. And it wasn't just this sort of distant thing to me. Those were real people in real places that I've met and that I visited. And I think that's one of the, the primary benefits of, of travel. It brings me back to, I think this is the most extreme example I could use, but COVID, I was living in China for four years. It was my home. I had my whole life there. And then COVID happened. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is my my home country. I was planning to live there for indefinitely in the future, which thankfully that didn't happen. But yeah, it was a very, it was the first country that COVID happened in. And I didn't know what it was going to become. Nobody knew what COVID was going to become and how global it was going to be. And just seeing it affect the supermarkets and the local stores and friends and not family, but friends who were there, it was, yeah, it was an experience. And then it kind of happened everywhere else in the world, but it was wild. So 
on that note, I think unless there's anything else you want to chat about in terms of podcasting or travel, let us know where we can find you online. I think we know your podcast name, but reiterate to us where we can find your podcast and any other links that you would like to promote and like to send the listeners to. Wherever you're listening to this podcast right now, just go search for Everything Everywhere Daily and you can learn something brand new every day. You've just listened to the Work, Wealth and Travel podcast. If anything from this episode resonated with you, I would appreciate if you share this podcast on your socials. And of course, be sure to tag me. And don't forget to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for joining me on this global citizen journey, and I'll see you in the next episode.